Chapter Ten of Marion: The Story of an Artist's Model, by Winifred Eaton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. I am not likely to forget that first call of Reginald Bertie upon me. I had thought about nothing else, and in fact had been preparing all day. I fixed over my best dress and curled my hair. I cleaned all the lower floor of our house, and dusted the parlor, and polished up the few bits of furniture, and tried to cover up the worn chairs and horsehair sofa. Every one of the children had promised to be good, and I had bribed them all to keep out of sight. Nevertheless, when the front doorbell rang that evening, to my horror, I heard the wild, noisy scampering of my two little brothers down the stairs, racing to see which should be the first to open the door. And trotting out from the dining-room right into the hall came Kathleen, age three, and Violet, four and a half. They had been eating bread and molasses, and had smeared it all over their faces and clothes, and they stood staring solemnly at Mr. Bertie, as though they had never seen a man before. On the landing above, looking over the banister and whispering and giggling, were Daisy, Lottie, and Nellie. Oh, how ashamed I felt that he should see all those dirty, noisy children. He stood there, by the door, staring about him, with a look of amazement and amusement on his face. And as he paused, the baby crawled in on hands and knees. She had a meat bone in her hand, and she squatted right down at his feet and while staring up at him, wide-eyed, she went right on loudly sucking on that awful bone. My face was burning, and I felt that I never could live down our family. Suddenly he burst out laughing. It was a boyish, infectious laugh, which was quickly caught up and mocked and echoed by those fiendish little brothers of mine. "'Are there any more?' he demanded gaily. "'My word!' They are like little steps and stairs. I said, How do you do, Mr. Bertie? He gave me a quizzical glance and said in a low voice, What's the matter with calling me Reggie? Nora had run down the stairs, and now, to my intense relief, I could hear her coaxing the children to come away, and she would tell them a story. Nora was a wonderful storyteller, and the children would listen to her by the hour so would all the neighbors' children. I had told her that if she kept the children out of sight, I would give her a piece of ribbon on which she had set her heart. So she was keeping her word, and presently I had the satisfaction of watching her go off with the baby on one arm, Kathleen and Violet holding to her other hand and skirt, and the boys in the rear. Mr. Bertie, or Reggie, as he said I was to call him, followed me into the parlor. It was a room we seldom used in winter on account of the cold, but I had coaxed dear Papa to help me clean out the fireplace, the only way it was heated. Our Canadian houses did not have furnaces in those days, and the boys had brought me in some wood from the shed, so at least we had a cheerful fire crackling away in the grate, and although our furniture was old, it did not look so bad. Besides, he didn't seem to notice anything except me for as soon as we got inside, he seized my hands and said, 
give you my word I've been thinking about you ever since last night. Then he pulled me up toward him and said, I'm going to get that kiss tonight. Just then, in came Mama and Ada, and feeling awfully embarrassed and confused, I had to introduce him. Mama only stayed a moment, but Ada settled down with her crochet work by the lamp. She never worked in the parlor on other nights, but she sat there all that evening with her eye on Mr. Bertie, and occasionally saying something brief and sarcastic. Mama said, as she was going out, I'll send Papa right down to see Mr. Bertie. He looks so much like Papa's brother, who died in India. Besides, Papa always likes to meet anyone from home. Papa came in later, and he and Mr. Bertie found much to talk about. They had lived in the same places in England, and even found they knew some mutual friends and relatives. Papa's sisters were all famous sportswomen and hunters. One was the amateur tennis champion, and of course Mr. Bertie had heard of her. Then Papa inquired what he was doing in Montreal, and Bertie said he was studying law, and hoped to pass his finals in about eight months. Then he added that as soon as he could get together a fair practice, he expected to marry and settle down in Montreal. When he said that, he looked directly at me, and I blushed foolishly, and Ada coughed, significantly and skeptically. I really didn't get a chance to talk to him all evening, and even when he was going I could hardly say goodbye to him, for Mama came back with Daisy and Nellie, the two girls next to me, and what with Ada and Papa there besides, and everybody wishing him goodbye, and Mama inviting him to call again, I found myself almost in the background. He smiled, however, at me over Mama's head, and he said, while shaking hands with her, I'll be delighted. May I come, uh, tomorrow night? I saw Ada glance at Mama, and I knew what was on their minds. Were they to be forced to go through this all again? The dressing up, the suppressing of the children, the using of the unused parlor, the burning of our fuel in the fireplace, etc. Papa, however, said warmly, By all means. I've some pretty good sketches of Macclesfield I'd like to show you. That will be charming, said my caller, and with a smile and bow that included us all, he was gone. I did not get that kiss after all, and I may as well confess I was disappointed. End of chapter 10 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista